Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily, a daily Premier League podcast keeping you in the loop with the news, views and opinions from the English top flight of football. On the podcast today, we're going to be looking at two of the most underperforming teams in the league at the moment as Tottenham face Everton in Monday Night Football. Two managers, both relatively new in their jobs, but also already both feeling the pressure. But who will the pressure be mounting on further come 9.30 this evening? Also, as the fallout continues from the Manchester derby after City dismantled Manchester United at the Etihad Stadium last night, resulting in a few barbed comments from fans, from pundits and from ex-players, there are also some interesting comments from current players as well. We'll look at a very revealing tweet from David De Gea about the state of Manchester United on today's podcast as well. Nama Korn and Marley Anderson are both on the podcast today. It's the Monday Club. How are we doing, boys? I'm good. How are you guys? Very good. Hello. Yes, all good. Um, yeah, buzzing. <laughs> you <laughs> sound great like weekend. going to say something insightful I was, then. and then I kind of like forgot what I was going to say, so I was like, just say something, say anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Great weekend. Good. Lovely. Great weekend. Yeah. All right, we're going to start off with a bit of a vent, a flush out of those Monday negative thoughts as we play a game of Get in the Sea calling out something that has wound us up over the weekend. Who's looking most angry this morning? I think Niall's looking pretty furious with life. So you can go first. What's bugging you today, Niall? Hangovers. <laughs> um, people parking on double yellow lines. That sort of stuff needs Your to get in the sea. hangovers other people's hangovers? Just hangovers in general. Okay, just, just get in the sea. Get rid. I think it was a hard weekend to pick um, uh, something to vent about this mm. weekend. I think mainly for me, it's everyone trying to put their finger on what's wrong at Manchester United. Okay. And there are so many different opinions and there's no right answer. Because as we've seen over the last few years, it's a difficult puzzle to solve at Manchester United. And I think football is obviously a reactionary business. And off the back of a big result yesterday, which it was for Man City, beating United by four goals to one in a Manchester derby um, to extend their lead at the top and kind of claim bragging rights in the city. Uh, I think that naturally, with a club the size of Man United, you're going to get a lot of people 
passing comment and opinion after a game. So I've seen so many different opinions, some pointing fingers um, at the manager, some pointing fingers at the players, some pointing fingers at the recruitment policy Mm -hmm. over the last however many years. And, And really, for me, it's a case of the reaction to yesterday's derby, totally understandable because... They're two big clubs with um, varying degrees of success in recent years, but everyone has their opinion on that, and, and mm. I think that that's a, a key thing to to suggest, I reckon. We will talk about this more in a little bit because I want to drill into the tweet that David De Gea sent after the derby and his comments about the state of Manchester United. But fundamentally, I guess, I mean, derbies always create a reaction, right? Sure. It's kind of a barometer. It's a regular benchmark where you measure yourself against your nearest rival. So whatever happens, we know that Manchester United and Man City have drifted apart in terms of quality. And it's that regular point where you go, well, exactly how far is that golf now? And last night it looked like it was big. But fundamentally, Manchester United had a job to do when Alex Ferguson and David Gill left Manchester United. There were two massive departures. We probably didn't quite realise how big the departure of David Gill was when he did leave the club and that was the point they needed to address it and change the course and kind of reset themselves as a football club and that's been the challenge that was a big challenge and they've kind of failed to do that I guess and that would be a fair assumption but you're right that could be players it could be manager it could be board it's probably a amalgamation of all those things yeah it could well be and and this is the thing it's people will always clamor for Manchester United to get back to the top level which is where they should be as a football club but let's not take our eyes off the fact that Liverpool it took them 30 years between winning their their last Premier League and the one before that. And they dropped off and they were a team that would be competing in what's now the Europa Conference. There was a few occasions where they finished eighth. They appointed the wrong managers. But now they've got a structure in place where they've got a a manager in Jurgen Klopp who knows exactly what Mm. he wants to do. Their recruitment's been excellent. Just look at the signings of uh, Diogo Jota and uh, Luis Diaz who have both come in and slotted in absolutely ideally as if they've been there for, for years um, they've regenerated Anfield. They've got a new training ground. They've moved out of Melwood and they've now moved to a, a new facility. So you're talking about um, a project which has been overseen at Liverpool and you're looking at a team in Liverpool who went a long, long time without being successful. And I think it just goes to show that... Yeah, it took them 30 years to you, get it You right have again. no divine right to be successful in this game. And I think maybe that that's the kind of the point that I'm trying to get across yeah, that's what that's what winds me up about yeah. when United fans, the, the sort of assumption and arrogance that they are going to get back to where they are and we oh we need to do this we need to do that like there's you know well we often talk about like cycles in football and stuff mm. you can't be successful for like such a sustained period but under under Fergie obviously they were Fergie and Gill you know together were insane um when they go there isn't any more any other people like them but there's this assumption of oh we're Man United we we should be fighting for the title like why yeah. what what qualification have you got for that? You finished second last year. Okay, that's cool. But, you know, what was it? Was it 12 points, 15 points or something? City, City absolutely walked it. Like, mm. that's not a title race. That's, you won You won the, the, the free-for-all that was second to fourth, thanks to Liverpool's injuries. <clears throat> uh, Chelsea going through dodgy periods as well with Lampard and then Tuchel, who mm. also won the Champions League, by the way. So... You know, there's no basis for Man United to be anywhere near the, the title race. I did go about it in a bit of a convoluted way, but it is you have no divine no right divine, to right, be successful yeah. in football. And I think you can just only need to look at clubs like Liverpool, as I say, 30 years between what they had and what they've got now. Clubs like AC Milan, you know, they've won multiple European Cups and Champions Leagues. In 2007, they won the Champions League. By 2008, they were playing Portsmouth at Fratton Park in the, in the UEFA Cup. Sunderland are down in League One. Their, their fans are the same. 
They want to get out of the division. They're not a third tier size club. Everyone can see that. But you don't just get promoted for free because you're Sunderland Football Club and mm. you're too big for the level. You need to earn your coin. You need to earn the right to get promoted and be successful. There's so many examples of this in football. I mean, you're right. There is an expectation and there is an up. An entitlement amongst football fans of every football club. There is a portion oh, of things yeah. that. I mean, you look uh, at Brighton and Leicester this saying. season as well, the way they've reacted yeah, to like their poor Brighton booing yeah, exactly. uh, Graham Potter is a joke. We're going to come but... back to Manchester United, so we'll leave that there for the moment. And Marley, you can have a quick vent. Yeah, mine is mine is fairly quick. I, I was, well, I was kind of going to go for the, the derby when... Um, the, the attitude of, of players, um, and specifically picking... Picking uh, opponents up off the floor, like in a derby, like being just being nice in a derby. Don't like it. Um, but <laughs> Although Vinnie Jones used to do that, he used to tackle someone. He used to pick the player up, give him a hand, and he used to pinch under their arm as hard as he could as he helped him <laughs> off the ground. So it's not always a nice gesture. And then boot him yeah. to, uh, two minutes <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah. Um, but no, like we've we talked too much about Man United. So um, the one thing that is pretty universal for for this weekend, I think that can't see anyone disagreeing with it, is. Um, the Chelsea fans who who decided to um, chant Roman Abramovich's name over a minute's uh, yeah. silence, or was it silence or applause? I think it was applause, wasn't it, for for Ukraine? Like standing, you know, like just a, a tiny little gesture, one minute of the entire weekend, and they couldn't they couldn't hold it in. They couldn't hold in that that horrendous moral compass <laughs> of now nah, we're going to sing our man our our um, owner's name because he's Chelsea and we're Chelsea, so therefore. We're all on his side because it's just the the absolute epitome of um, why Abramovich bought a, a big London like Western club in in the thing because you buy also an army of supporters that will mm. defend you through anything um, and you know they they don't have the best track record Chelsea fans of of being on the right, the right side of arguments um, and making sort of questionable moral choices um and this is a, another example of it so yeah it was a strange one wound me up and uh the game was weird as well the Chelsea Burnley game was just really strange um but yeah yeah I think football often yeah. does itself absolutely no favors in this situation does it it proves itself to be ignorant and yeah. on the wrong side of where morals should be and I think that's just another example of that so get in the sea Chelsea fans my get in the sea is Twitter, football Twitter particularly, taking itself far too seriously. I tweeted something over the weekend which prompted an angry reaction, and it really shouldn't have prompted an angry reaction. So it was a retweet. There was a little post going around which I liked. It was Jose Mourinho, the amount he's earned being sacked by the clubs he's been at. So he has earned £97,674,480,000 in terms of payoffs in the last five jobs he's had, which is a pretty decent amount. So I retweeted <laughs> that with the comments, now that's a specialist in failure. Now, I'm sure you remember the comments that Jose Mourinho made about Arsene Wenger back in the day. He called Arsene Wenger a specialist in failure. So I thought it was kind of a nice little comment on what he said, turning it around, going, here's a man who has failed successfully. But apparently, there's a lot of Jose Mourinho fanboys out there. There is. There <laughs> took, is. I didn't realise that was a thing. I didn't know there were Jose he Mourinho fanboys. He has got some seriously hardcore supporters. 
Yeah, so I got a lot of comments and a lot of negativity and a lot of abuse off the back of that tweet, including several people pointing out that he's won 25 trophies in his career, which is more than all the other Premier League managers put together other than Pep Guardiola, which is an impressive stat. I just want to point out, if you're on Twitter and you're a football fan, not everything is serious. Not everything's an attack. I think no, people, exactly. people feel compelled to defend, don't they? Especially someone that they, they idolise or appreciate. Your tweet was referring to the last five jobs. So it's someone saying that he's won 25 trophies is a stone-cold fact, but mm. it's nothing to do with the last it's five jobs he's had. <laughs> but I think it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it doesn't matter whether, even if it was an attack on Jose Mourinho, calm down, chill out. Oh, doesn't yeah. matter. I, <laughs> I missed this because it was on Saturday. I was obviously I was out all day, so I wasn't on Twitter very much. But um, I've just seen it now, and one, one of the replies, he hasn't been paid that. You only get your wages until you get to another club. I'm sure that's how it works. What? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Do you know how compensation works? You get paid off for the rest yeah. of your contract. That's I, why he's earned ninety-seven million. I took a step back. I didn't involve myself yeah. in these arguments don't, too don't much. Mute tweet. So yeah, good. if you're on Twitter and you're a football fan, just chill out. Do you know what? Just You'll feel better your, for uh, it. You'll feel better your tweets for about it. the bins, Jim. They, they go. They <laughs> yeah, go yeah. much better. I, lo- I mean, listen. I like Twitter, but stuff like that, Jim, puts me off going on Twitter. It, yeah. it puts me off tweeting in general. It makes me think: is it is it really worth it? It's just part because of you thing. do get a pile on every now and again, and you yeah. just it just makes you think: ah, oh, some of these people get this every day. You can understand how social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, contributes to poor mental health when you see that kind of scenario. Indeed, yeah. But anyway, speaking of poor mental health, we're going to talk about Spurs versus Everton next. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a fan of either of those clubs, you're probably struggling a little bit at the moment. They're playing tonight. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Monday night football is Tottenham versus Everton. It's the teams who should really be doing better in the league derby. (laughs) In which, I mean, there's two sets of fans here. Spurs and Everton fans both went into this season with high hopes. Both with money spent and new managers. Spurs have been for a couple since then, as have Everton. And now Everton find themselves at the wrong end of the table. Spurs find themselves without any chance of silverware after going out of the FA Cup to Middlesbrough yeah. very recently. Which of those two fan bases do you think are probably the most disappointed at the moment, Marley? <laughs> um, is it, it's got to be Spurs, hasn't it? Like, oh, really? Oh, I would have gone, Ever- get <laughs> gone for Everton, personally. No, um... I don't know because how can Spurs fans wit- be disappointed when they've not won a they've not oh, won a trophy for for however many years? They're used to it. Whereas Everton fans are not used to being they're used to being not good, but they're not used to being in the relegation zone or near to it. Well, they're more used to it than, than Spurs <laughs> for like, sure. Yeah, yeah. I like if the way I thought of of that question is Everton have have it almost goes back to what we what we were saying before about sort of expecting success. Like they've spent loads of money, so the the fans are obviously expecting to be. You know that 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 team that crashes that top six when, you know, in reality it's totally different. So, 
Um, yeah, they can, they can probably. Obviously, like both both clubs can be disappointed. They both they probably had two of the worst seasons, like pound for pound. Like Norwich, for example, have obviously had a worse season, but they kind of even the diehard Norwich fans probably expected to be in a relegation fight, so that doesn't really count. But um, in terms of expectations against reality, these are probably the two teams who have the biggest uh, like gripe against how the season's going. But I just think Spurs with Spurs, like everything. Not everything's almost in place. That's why it's frustrating for them. Like the managers there, the stadiums there, most of the squads there, and it, they still can't see anything f- off the back of it. Um, mm. There's still, you know, the 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 glimmers of hope are there, like beating City twice this season, um, and then losing to to Middlesbrough and to Burnley. Like that's like yeah. they kind of know, know they can do up. it. They know they have the tools yeah. there, and that's the most frustrating thing. Like if you were getting. You know, if if you were really consistent, as in you beat everyone below you, but lost to everyone above you, you know, and you you know you hammered Burnley four 0 but then lost to City four 0 like you can kind of understand where you are as a club. But I think it's more frustrating for fans when you you come up against a team and you beat them, and you're like, we can play at that level, and then you everything changes when you know the week after when you lose to to Middlesbrough and Burnley in the space of eight or nine days or whatever it was, mm. so. So uh, yeah, it's I'd go for them, but I mean you can get a, you can get a cigarette paper between the pair of them in terms of who should be more disappointed. But I just think with Everton getting the new manager, uh, I think they'll they'll move away from the relegation zone sooner or later, um, and uh, and sort of sort themselves out and, and come again a bit stronger next season. In terms of managers, now mm-hmm. Conte's been speaking this week about how different his job feels at Tottenham to other gigs he's had he referenced the Inter Milan job where he was set targets told he had to go there and win trophies within two years and he said he hasn't had that at Spurs he's just kind of gone in and done his job is that part of the issue that Spurs have as a club in that at the heart of it they're not that ambitious Daniel Levy as long as the bank balance is the right number and as long as the turnover is ticking he's not really bothered about whether they win the Premier League or the Champions League or whatever it is he just wants in in a way he's kind of like an upgrade on Mike Ashley I guess he's kind of got his financial targets and as long as those financial targets are hit he's actually pretty happy yeah I I don't want to speak too much about Spurs because I don't know that much um, about what goes on at board level and you know, Owen, who works with us here at Sports Social, is a Tottenham fan, and he's often talking about how he feels that Tottenham have got no chance of being successful and winning silverware under this ownership, even mm. with players like Son, Kane, and a manager like Antonio Conte, who's won pretty much everywhere he's been. So I think that tells you a lot about how, you know, that's just a, a very small uh, cross-section of Tottenham supporters, one of them in our office, but he has quite a clear opinion on on how he thinks Spurs are being run and and how that might be sort of hampering their chances of success. But maybe that mentality, if it does exist, is something that kind of spreads throughout the club. So the players know that that noise from the outside is there of them not being successful and not winning a trophy. If that is to be the case and it's uh, rubbing off on Antonio Conte, that will naturally rub off on the players. So I think when it comes to Tottenham being knocked out of the FA Cup, that was a big opportunity for them. They shouldn't have done so. They shouldn't have lost to Burnley. So, I mean, a lot of talk about how there's not been enough investment in Tottenham in the playing squad. I would agree with that. A lot of talk about how Antonio Conte doesn't have the tools to do the job. I understand that. But at the same time, Conte should be doing better with what he's got. Mm. That, that Tottenham team, regardless of the lack of investment, 
is far too good to be getting beat by Burnley and beaten by Middlesbrough. And that's no disrespect to those two teams who deserve to beat Spurs in those two respective games, but they should not have been losing those games. So I think that you do have to lay some blame at the door in the feet of Antonio Conte. I do think that, that him and the players have a lot to answer for. But Is he yeah. deflecting at the moment, do you think, Conte? Is he ref- deflecting from what? Is he deflecting from the results he's getting and refusing? Because he seems to be suggesting well, that is anyone the shocked? The players. We said this. We said this. Is anyone shocked about Tottenham's form? No, not really. Well, Conte seems to be quite shocked. Well, maybe he's shocked at how difficult the job is. I'm not sure he's shocked because he, he turned it down in the summer, knowing it. Mm. Like he turned the job down, he, he looked at the squad and thought that's not good enough to to be to do what Spurs want to do, which is get top four. Um, and as close to Liverpool and Man City at the top as you possibly can. Um, I just think he's he was right in the first place, and then they came to him a second time after Nuno went, uh, you know, belly up, and he's gone. You know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe you know, maybe I can uh, I can turn it around. Maybe it's not as yeah. uh, it's a tapping though. Bad. He's better than Santo, so it's a t- it's yeah. like he can't be worse than Santo. So mm-hmm. maybe that's kind that. of formed I part of the I thing. Still think he needs to change. The back three, just just try something different. It might work. Back to it Ever- isn't working. Back to Everton for a moment. They look like they could have Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. He's close to a return. The suggestion is tonight might be a little bit too soon for him, but he will be back over the next couple of weeks. What's he going to have been thinking sitting on the bench so far this season, Marley, and watching this Everton team be dismantled? most weeks, I guess, and see them fighting relegation. Because it wasn't that long ago Dominic Nick Calvert-Lewin was being linked with a move to the likes of Manchester United. And here he is Arsenal potentially facing... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's facing a relegation battle. What's going to be going through his head? Is he going to be planning his exit, do you think? Just, well, just on a quick caveat to that, I think Arsenal would be perfect for, for Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Um, they need a striker. He might be disillusioned with how things are going. These promises of, oh, we're going to buy a new stadium, uh, we're going to build a new stadium, but... No good building a new stadium if you're in the championship. Um, so yeah, on on him, I think you know watching the games from the physio's room or, or the bench or whatever, he's probably just thinking, Jesus, I need to get over this injury quickly because this club needs needs him. Their their backup strikers have not been good enough. Rondon, you know, looks like he's really suffered from a couple of years out in in China, away from the sort of uh, hustle and bustle of the the Premier League and the, and the added quality that he had because he was brilliant in Newcastle three years ago. He was absolutely superb. He was like the, the ultimate sort of target man, uh, striker, you know, holding it up, bringing players into play. But he's he's massively dropped off that level now um, and f- probably found his level against Boreham Wood when he bagged a couple of goals because he, uh, he needed that sort of step down. But Calvert-Lewin is like, the ultimate sort of modern day striker. Right? He's he's pretty quick for his big, uh, big frame. He's insanely good in the air. He's probably the best header uh, striker at heading the ball England have got. Um, he's really good at one touch finishing as well. So, yeah, so underrated in, yeah, skill in, in the penalty box. Yeah, he's mm. he's, he's lethal. He would so. be really good for Arsenal actually. When you describe th- him, he's like the perfect. Yeah, the perfect Arsenal centre forward. Yeah, but <laughs> would, would Arsenal go and get him, or will they get tempted by a nice shiny object in the uh, in the in the foreign leagues, like he usually does, like they usually do, mm. like Alexander Isaac might be might be brilliant for them as well. But uh, maybe the the English tax will come in on Calvert Lewin as well. If, if they'll it probably will. want seventy or eighty for him, um, so maybe that might price him out. But obviously that's a, a discussion for another day. But he, he needs to get back quickly because um, without him, you know, Richarlison as a centre centre forward 
is okay, but he's much, much more dangerous on the left when he can pin himself on a on a right back uh, who's not as um, good at defending as the centre backs typically. So he's, he's his sort of second striker ish role is is way better for for Everton when you've got a centre forward who's occupying two centre backs, and that's what Cavalier does so well. Um, so they need him back quickly because. You know, I mean, we said on Friday, didn't we? If Burnley had got a point at Chelsea, Everton would be heading into tonight's game in the relegation zone. Mm-hmm. So as it stands now, they're still on the verge of mm-hmm. dropping into that. Um, and I don't know what... I mean, I'm pretty sure they're at panic stations already on the blue half of Merseyside, but if they dropped into that, that is, you know, even more panic stations because mm-hmm. they need results quickly. Uh, the thing is with Everton is they've got games in hand. So yeah. Marley's right, they're 17th, a point yeah. above the relegation zone, but they've, they've played 24 games. In two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, they've played 24 games. Burnley have played 26 and Leeds above them by just a point have played 27. They've got four games in hand. We always say, who's going to go down? And we always say, is there three worse teams than? And I think if you yeah. uh, factor Everton into that statement, then I think the answer is probably yes. I still think they're getting slightly better, though. Uh, like I think, recently, yeah, like, it's not like, for example, like Leeds have been on the slide for like what six or seven weeks now, yeah, and then yeah. Everton. I feel like they're almost like treading water. They're, they're not. Spotty. They're not really going I think backwards. You'd describe Everton as, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, listen. So you got to assume it's going to get better. Watford and Norwich are worse. Leeds yeah. at the moment are worse. Brentford are in pretty bad Burnley form, but they worse. did win at the weekend. So are Everton? better than the teams around them at the moment. Marley's probably right, but you need the points to back that up. And one thing I will say is traditionally, even though they won at Tottenham last season, Everton never beat Spurs. I think it's 18 games head-to-head. Mm. They've only won one of them. And then away from Goodison Park, they've been dreadful. August, I think, was their last away win. It might have been even the first game of the season under Benitez, maybe. I'm not sure. Of last season, because last season when we were under closed doors, they were, they were great away from home. Yeah. They only won... A- they won very little at home. I remember yeah. late last season, um, I did a I did a preview for one of the games, and I worked out that if Everton had took as many points away from home as they had uh, at home as they had away from home, they'd have been second in the league. That's mm. how good they were away from home last season. And then the crowds come back, and it's like oh, you know they get panicked, you know, and it's not okay. It's not great. Listen to this. This is a I think a killer statistic, which Frank Lampard will need to sort out. Everton are without a Premier League away win since August, drawing two and losing eight of those ten games, conceding two-plus goals in seven of them. Wow. So on the road, they've been massively leaky and they've struggled to win. And against the Tottenham side that need to win, I don't know know if if Everton will come out of this one with all three points, to be honest with you. But, you know, records are there to Mm. to be changed and broken, so... Um, Records are for DJs. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> do hope. I do those. hope Everton stay up. I really do. I, I like them as a club. It's wow. a shame to see them drop out of the league. But as we said earlier on in the show, there is absolutely no divine right just because you're Everton and you've never been relegated doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be if you're one of the worst three teams at the end of the season. As you also said, though, games in hand. If they win those games in hand, they're suddenly mid-table and it's looking <laughs> slightly less worrying. It's the Premier League for you. As for Tottenham, all, with all the panic stations and disaster there, if they do beat Everton tonight, it puts them equal on points with West Ham. Unlikely to go into the top six because of the goal difference, but yeah. they're there or thereabouts but, but, in terms of European places. No one Not wants that, that fourth, do they? West Ham have started to blow it a bit. Manchester United have lost their way. They couldn't beat Southampton. They couldn't beat Watford. Teams mm. they should be beating... Spurs, they had games in hand. They gave up that ground. What's to, what's to say that Arsenal don't lose their games in mm-hmm. hand as well? So I think Arsenal will be favourites for that top four. They are moment. at the moment, but I mean, this is, they're still 
a decent amount of time to go this yeah, season. Yeah. So there's nothing. We could be sat here in a month and talking about Tottenham in the top four. Yeah, it's just Easily. the way they get. It's the way it's going at the moment. Right, we're going to go back to Manchester next for a bit of reaction to the Manchester derby. It was Manchester United, Manchester United four, and we said there's Man City four, Manchester United one last night, and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Wrapping up today's podcast with a little bit of a look back at the Manchester derby. Now, the full debrief was on last night's podcast with Fergal, Jay from Stretford Paddock and football journalist Rob Blanchett. A very red-heavy post-mortem, but to be fair, there was much more to talk about when it came to Manchester United than there was Manchester City. Now, we're not going to get too deep into the game today, but I think what it did demonstrate between City and United, as we mentioned earlier, was the golfing class between the two teams at the moment. And I thought David De Gea's post-match tweet was really interesting that he sent into the Twitter sphere after the game. He said, we will one day get this club back to where it deserves to be. Today was another bad moment in a difficult season, but when we still have this shirt to defend, we will not give up. Which is maybe a narrative that's a little bit different to most of people's comments that the players don't care, the players aren't trying, etc, etc. Which, by the way, I never believe. I don't believe there's a professional footballer with a few exceptions that goes out onto a football field and doesn't try and doesn't want to win. Surely, if you're going to be a professional footballer, your drive to win is that much that you're going to want to play well and you're going to want to win. It just doesn't always happen. But when you see those comments from David De Gea after the match, Niall, I mean, it's a little bit more than the usual, we go again, let's try harder, hashtag back stronger and that kind of thing that Mm. we normally see. This is a level up from that, isn't it? There's a real hurt in that message from David De Gea. I don't follow football players on social media. I don't follow them on Twitter, really. Um, so I don't see the kind of the, the row of tweets or comments after a, a result. But I did see that one that had been uh, posted by David De Gea. I don't know what any of the other United players have posted or if they have posted to be able to contrast that with anything. But I think if there was one player from a Manchester United perspective who would have been able to tweet yesterday after a loss, it would have been him. He's had his question marks over the last few years about whether he's uh, he's kind of lost his his way in, mm-hmm. in his form. He's shown this season that he is still a very very capable goalkeeper at the top level. I think his distribution is is perhaps sometimes called into question, understandably so, with the way that it forms such a big part of goalkeeping nowadays. The ability to be able to spray passes is almost something that you have to have as a modern goalkeeper. Uh, I'm not sure whether he quite has the the attributes for that, but in terms of his ability in keeping Manchester United in games, which he's done on a number of occasions this season, by the way, not just yesterday. I think that he's probably the only person that could have tweeted after the game yesterday and people would have accepted it. Um, Because he made some really big saves. And the score was still 4-1, but he made some really big saves yesterday, David De Gea. He wasn't helped out at all, was he? No, he only I... had to make all them saves because his defence was like a wet paper towel. It was useless. Totally, totally awful. Like, what... <laughs> What Maguire's doing, letting that rebound... I mean, when he saves it from Foden, it's a great save. But what he's doing, letting that go through his legs, is mm. bizarre. Yeah. You have to think as a defender. like You have to be the biggest pessimist in the world. You've got to think there's eight men behind me lining up to, to smack this in the net. As it turned out, there was only three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to just side foot it behind for a corner and say, right, regroup, defend the corner. But his decision-making was awful. Lindelof charging out at Foden um, for, in, in the same move was... 
was bizarre. Just you know, hold him up and and use your physicality against him. Don't let don't give him the opportunity to skin you. I know he's obviously done brilliantly as well, but um, yeah, it's just. I mean, De Gea has been probably United's best player this season. Um, I can't think of too many others that would come club, possibly Alanga, but I mean, he's still riding that wave of getting into the first team. Like, we'll see how good he is when he settles down and um, has a full season under him. But you know, De Gea is you know he's won that battle with Dean Henderson. A lot of people were saying he's finished. Mm-hmm. Let him go back to Spain. Blah blah blah. My son collects these things called match attack cards, right? And oh, they're yeah. Premier League, oh, they're European football cards. So if your team qualifies for Europe, you have a team printed of these cards, and they kind of pick one goalkeeper from each yeah. squad. And they didn't pick David De Gea. They went with Dean Henderson as the goalkeeper for Manchester United, Did which kind of goes. Wow. It kind of demonstrates the expectations for what Dean Henderson would do this season, I guess, over David De Gea. Yeah. So he's done well. And he's had he's had the chances place. as well. Like mm. it's, it's good. It's, we've got to sort of say that Henderson did have have chances, and he wasn't good enough. Um, so he probably needs to move now in the summer um, to get his career sort of restarted ahead of the World Cup in in December. Surprised they didn't pick Lee Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a full time board waiver now, isn't he on the on the on the bench with the uh, subs. But no, yeah, Henderson needs probably to move. De Gea is is has won that battle, and yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a disappointing. It's, it's thing that he had to tweet, but I mean, even, did you see the first reply to it? A well-known Nottingham Forest fan that poses as a Man United fan. Um, <laughs> rhyme, names, name rhymes with dark mould bridge. Um, you know, the first thing the first thing he replied is uh, not with these owners, Dave. So obviously, it ends with uh, today was another bad moment. We'll get this club deserves where back deserves to be back. Whatever. Uh, not with these owners, Dave. And then somebody's replied with, you spent a billion pounds. A billion pounds. Mm. Like, this is another thing that winds me up, this like this Man United thing of, oh, yeah, we'll be back there one day. And then you you, you point out how well City are doing. They go, ah, yeah, checkbook. Checkbook manager. Pep's a checkbook manager. They've spent the way to the league. Number one, everyone spends the way to, to success. That's why everyone's in the Premier League. Everyone spends money. Number two, you've outspent everyone. I think spent a billion City quid, spent 80 million 1. on Maguire. 1.25, I think, haven't they? Yeah, there's, by the there's, way, there's half a, there's what? 500 grand in it. Difference I, I said between I, 500 grand between 50 million, isn't exactly. it? 50 million, isn't it? Huh? Maybe 50 million difference. If oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm pretty sure. Enough. Because, zero, because right? or is it 5 million? <laughs> no, it's 1.25. But no, I can't do maths either. But um, this is this is a little very basic maths lesson. A billion pounds is a thousand million. That's 10 Jack Grealishes. Mm. That is a staggering amount of money for both clubs. And it just shows how expensive football is. Insane amount. A thousand million. Is it a thousand million though? Or is it the American billion, which is a hundred million? No, no, no. A billion is two different uh, financial no, definitions. <laughs> no, more than a hundred million is 101 million or 102 or 202 or 999 million. As soon as you get beyond 999 million... You're at a thousand million, which equals a billion. Okay. So it's a staggering amount of money, just in in general. That you know, when you see the numbers out there like that, you just think, oh yeah, they've spent one point two billion, one point two billion. It's like thrown about there, like it's mm. it's nothing. It is a stupid amount of money. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast, Maths Social Daily. By the way, <laughs> you can search that and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I mean, putting the money to one side for the moment, Marley. The kind of suggestion has been in that City game that the players weren't good enough and they didn't care and they uh, needs to be a clear out in the summer. If we go, right, it is the players' fault, it's not the manager, it's not the ownership, the ownership's not going to change, stuck with it, sorry Manchester United fans, 
how far away are Manchester United from getting this sorted? Is it one window? Is it two windows? Is it three windows? Is it another hundred million quid or whatever it is they've spent? It's, uh, I think a lot of people that say things like this, oh, we need to clear out, we need to start again, are in their heads playing FIFA and not knowing that it takes such a long time to sort anything out. And also you've put yourself in a position where it's going to take even longer mm. because you've got this supply teacher to the end of the season. Um, you know, interim manager, all it does really is um, create confusion about what happens in the summer. Like, Man United can't go up to someone now and be like, you signed, we want you to sign for Man United in the summer because they'll turn around and go, who's the manager going to be? Mm. And then they go, we don't know. Um, maybe Poch, maybe Pochettino. And then they go, what, the guy who lost a one, one-horse race in France with PSG and got bait the weekend by Nice? You know what I mean? It's It's just... Like there's no there's no like um solid plan there. There's no you can't sign for Man United and go, Yeah, I'll 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 sign. I'm I'm desperate to play for you. Because whoever comes in the summer, it doesn't matter whether Rangnick thinks he's the best player in the world or not and he's gonna be yeah. director of football. I can see Rangnick leaving the club totally by the end of the season. I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they went, We don't really want you for director of football. I know we promised it, but everybody gets sacked. So they're not within the they're not uh, losing any sort of thing by you know let's say they, they go and get Ten Hag and Ten Hag might go I'll come but I don't want a director of football that is Ralph Rannick I might not want to work with him I might want you to sign Edwin van der Sar or something for example mm. it might it might all change so there's nothing really you can say where there's no concrete plans um, and that will put players off so straight away you're starting again in the summer you've got to then have a month or a couple of weeks where you sit down and you create a list of who you want whether it's centre backs full backs defensive mids, whatever you want, then you've got to go out and buy them. And then you've got to convince them that Man United are coming back and, uh, and you know, are going to be challenging for titles in a couple of years. So that's why they should give their peak of their careers to Man United rather than wait for someone else or or whatever. Um, so it, it's really not that, not as easy as it, as it may be. And it's not as easy as it could have been for Man United had they had more of a plan in the post-Fergie years. This goes back nearly 10 years ago, Fergie left. And I don't think they've had a solid plan since. Well, you look at the way Manchester City handled the appointment of Pep Guardiola and you mm-hmm. look at that as a blueprint of success four years before he came yeah, there. It was that's a, when that development started. Yeah, it was started. A, a, a blueprint. Like, this is what we're going to do to get Pep. We're going to get Ferran Soriano. We're going to get Siki Bagiristain. We're going to build a, a, a team. Mm. And then the I was reading something this morning that, that made so much sense. Like, yes, Guardiola has, has spent money. Um, but he's also had the freedom to, if players didn't suit his style, to bin him off and get someone else. Like um, nobody remembers Pep Guardiola for Nolito and Danilo, and um, uh, it was this, they've had a few strikers, Jovetic and people like that. Like, no they, one remembers you know, Ferguson for Bebe and Jemba yeah. Jemba, do they? Yeah, you know. like Guardiola's come in, he signed Danilo, and he was like, he's not good enough. I'm going to go out and get Cancelo, and like obviously that's. You know, Min, the Otamendi, Mangala, they weren't good enough. So he went out and signed Diaz and Stones. And he's been back like that. Whereas Man United are just like, you know, that this is a big job. We'll just give him a new contract and, and, and keep it, keep it around, keep him around. Because if we lose him, we'll lose money. That's why Phil Jones is still there. That's why Lingard's still there. That's why they've still got players. They've had so much deadwood that didn't even start going until Solskjaer came in and was like, we need to get rid of some of these so we can get new players in. Mm. And he started the process of, of them going forward. 
And then Rangnick's came in and he's trying to continue that, but he can only continue it until the summer and then someone else is going to come in. And it's like, you've, I think they've, they've like attached a, a sort of a cannonball to their, to their ankles type of thing. They've got to drag that round now. They've sort of stopped themselves when they had a bit of momentum to actually change the club. But it's, it's just another thing with, with Man United. You know, they need to sort it out. They need to have a clear path because they're very reactionary, Man United, whereas mm. on the other half of the city, Man City have been proactive and said, you know, this is going to happen, so we're going to get Guardiola, we're going to hopefully win the Champions League in a few Premier Leagues, and they've they've almost certainly got a, pl- a plan in place already for when Guardiola leaves. And that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. We're back tomorrow with another Premier League update. All the latest news, views and opinions from the last 24 hours. If you've not done so already, click follow or click subscribe in the podcast app you're using to listen. And we'll make sure you get the next episode as soon as it's ready. See you next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.